0: The book of Revelation is filled with mystery, prophecy, and numbers. In fact, the number 7 is mentioned 54 times. Dr. David Jeremiah helps us understand these 7s in the Revelation 7 Study Handbook and 7 Praises Bookmark, yours this month for a gift of any amount. And when you give a gift of $60 or more, you'll gain a clearer understanding with the 7 Churches of Revelation study set, which includes a CD or DVD album and study guide. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to learn more.
1: The story of David and Goliath is familiar to believers and unbelievers alike, but you might be surprised by how many fail to understand its real meaning. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals that the story's takeaway is far more significant than championing the underdog or celebrating the victory of good over evil. To introduce today's message, when two giants meet, here's David. Well, this has to be one of the best stories in all the Bible.
2: And one of the first ones that we actually learn if we grow up in the Sunday school, as I did, and it's the story of a—well, it's the story of somebody you wouldn't think could ever prevail in a contest who prevails— the underdog who wins, so to speak, although many scholars think that that Goliath was the underdog because David had God, you know we 're going to we 're going to study this this event uh, and it 'll take us uh, two days to do it we 'll do it today and then we 'll finish up on Monday. but this is my favorite part of the story so i 'm sure it is yours, when David defeated Goliath. All of the material for this series is chronicled in the two study guides that we've created. Uh, David, the Tender Warrior, Volume 1, Volume 2. You can get these study guides from our website. If you go to our website, it will tell you how to do that. And then there is a special resource we have for the month of June that I want to tell you about right now. It's the book called The Focus Life. And it records, it prints, it chronicles the writings of David in his Psalms and the writings of his son Solomon in the Proverbs, I want to explain it. Here's how it works. When you open this volume called The Focused Life, it's leather covered. It's got a beautiful gold embossed title. And what you discover when you open this, it's the scripture. It's five Psalms and one chapter from Proverbs, followed by five more Psalms and another chapter from Proverbs. And when you read this, you can read through Psalms and Proverbs in one month. And many people do this over and over again and allow the words of the Psalms and the book of Proverbs to inundate your life. Psalms will help you relate to God. Proverbs will help you understand life on this earth. And uh, we know packaging this together has been such a great thing. We want to send you this as our way of saying thank you for your gift to Turning Point during the month of June. Friends, um... Radio is still very important, very strong, and we still need your help. And so when you send your gift, we want to say thank you in this special way. But we also want to encourage you to be generous and, uh, and to be faithful because this keeps going on and we're touching many people every day through the teaching of the Word of God. When you send your gift, be sure to ask for your copy of the book called The Focus Life. Well, here's part one, um, When Two Giants Meet— from 1st Samuel chapter 17.
0: I suppose I could begin my message today by asking how many of you have any giants in your life? How many of you are facing problems of such a magnitude that they seem gigantic as you see them loom before you on the horizon? I need to remind you that the God who helped David defeat the giant of his day is the same God that lives today and whom we serve and the principles of victory that are found in this chapter for David are transferable concepts to your life and to mine. The chapter, which is rather lengthy, tells the story in quite good detail, and it comes to us in three different stanzas. The first part of the chapter is the challenge to the living God. The middle part of the chapter details the champion of the living God. And the final part of the chapter is the conquest by the living God. And as we look at the chapter, we will follow that outline. Notice with me first, as we have our Bibles opened of chapter 17, the challenge to the living God. We must understand that this chapter is not a story about a young man fighting with a grown giant. This chapter is the story of the conflict of the ages, which has gone on since time beginning when Satan first rebelled against God, This is the story of a confrontation of the living God by evil forces. All of it comes down in a moment's time in the valley. And the details of it are laid before us in this chapter. Please note, first of all, the scene of the challenge, verses 1 to 3. The Philistines (laughs) gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah, in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the Valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines (laughs) stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. The picture is not hard for us to imagine. In fact, there is a place in Palestine today that is purported to be the very scene of the battle we are studying. Uh, It is a place where there is a deep ravine between two gigantic cliffs. The picture in the story here is of the battle armies of the Philistines gathered along this side on this cliff over here. And all of the Israelite armies have come over here to this side and they're gathered on this cliff. And down in the valley between the two cliffs is this ravine where ultimately the challenge is made and the battle is fought. If the place that is designated by geography people and students of Bible lands is where they believe it is, there is a gap between the two cliffs of about 100 yards. So it's not far. And in the valley between is this small place where the giant and david are going to fight and the bible says that that's the picture the scene of the challenge i want you to notice secondly the size of the challenge the challenge is wrapped up in a man and we are told about him beginning at verse four and there went out a champion out of the camp of the philistines named goliath of gath whose height was six cubits in a span And he had a helmet of brass upon his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass and he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and one bearing a shield went before him. The size of the (laughs) challenge is wrapped up in the man we know as Goliath. Now, the Bible tells us several things about this man that help us to understand him and to see him in historic light. First of all, the Bible tells us that he was from Gath. Uh, You may wonder how it is that Goliath was so large that he became uh, such a large man. I think it would help us if we would look at a couple of passages of Scripture very quickly because we haven't time to linger here. Notice, first of all, in the book of Numbers, chapter 13... Numbers chapter 13, and I want you to read verses 32 and 33. Numbers thirteen, thirty-two and 33. Where did Goliath get his size? Why is he such a gigantic man? We read in verse 32 of Numbers 13, and they brought up an evil report. These are the spies sent into the land. And they searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Sounds like Goliath, doesn't it? And there we saw the giants. Now watch this phrase. The sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. So the giants that the spies saw were the sons of Anak. Hold now and go over to the book of Joshua chapter 11. Joshua chapter 11 and I want to show you something very interesting Joshua 11:21 21 and 22 Joshua has been commanded to go into that very land and to take that land for God to take control of it and to make it God's land and we read the report beginning at verse 21 of the 11th chapter and at that time came Joshua and he cut off there's the phrase again he cut off the Anakim From the mountains, from Hebron to Deber, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua destroyed the Anakim, the giants, utterly with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the children of Israel, save only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod there remained. And where does the Bible say that Goliath came from? Goliath came from Gath he was from one of the three cities that were left from the Anakim where the giants were grown so Goliath was one of the few remaining giants of the day from the place called Gath now the Bible tells us how big he was I ought to say Goliath was a big man and you should all say how big was he all right now watch The Bible says that his height was six cubits and a span. Now it's not possible for us to accurately to the very inch detail that into terms that you and I understand. There is some leeway between what some folks believe and others believe. But let me tell you where the leeway is. The bottom end is at nine foot six inches and the top end is at nine foot nine inches. So Goliath was somewhere between 9'6 and 9'9. For those of you who try to get a fix on that, let me tell you that his head was less than four inches from the rim. When uh, Goliath stood under the basket, he had to be careful that he didn't hurt his head. Goliath was a big man. Now the scripture says... That he was not only big, he was armed. And the Bible tells us uh, he wore a helmet of brass upon his head and he had a coat of mail, which the Bible says the coat that he wore, the armored coat that he wore, was 5,000 shekels of brass translated into our understanding. That means that the coat he wore over his body weighed somewhere between 150 and 200 pounds. Now the scripture goes on to say that he had a spear in his hand, and the Bible describes the spear, it says it looked like a beam of a weaver's shuttle. In other words, in our language, he carried a telephone pole. <laughs> and the spear's point, according to the scripture, the spear's point weighed, and again in our language, it weighed somewhere between 15 and 20 pounds, just the point of the spear itself. Now, you know, you could make a point with a spear like that, I want you to know. That would make an impact on you, wouldn't it? And the Bible says that he wore leggings of brass, had a helmet of brass. And then the thing that just amazes me, and it makes me laugh every time I read it, he had a guy walking in front of him with a shield. Now, what in the world does a giant need with a shield-bearer? And I can just see this guy, I mean, there weren't many nine, six guys around. And the purpose of a shield was to keep any stray arrows or missiles from hurting you. And they had the tallest guy from the Philistines and he held a shield at the top of his arms trying to protect this poor giant. And that was the size of the challenge that faced the Israelites that day. Let me tell you something about the sound of the challenge or maybe we should call it the shout of the challenge. Notice beginning at verse 8. And this giant stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, this was one of the first times in history that two nations decided to settle all of their battles representatively. Goliath decided, you know, we don't need to waste all these armies. I mean, if we go to war and we kill all them, then we haven't got any servants. Let's do this thing economically. Let's have military economy. We'll take one man from this side, one man from this side, let them fight it out, and whoever wins, that nation gets the victory. Now you'll notice that there's no place in the text where it says that people stood in line for that opportunity. Because we learn something about not only the shout of the challenge and the size of the challenge, but notice the seriousness of the challenge. Jump down in your Bibles to verse 16. This wasn't just a one-time threat. The Bible says, verse 16, that the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. For a little over six weeks, every morning and every night, this gigantic Philistine stood in the valley and belched out his threats. And every morning and every night, the Israelites had to listen to the taunts of this giant. Forty days had passed, not one volunteer. And the Bible tells us the. The challenge was so strong that it had a dynamic effect upon everybody who heard it notice verse 11 and when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine they were dismayed and greatly afraid they were powerless because of their fear now that's the challenge and let me just stop for a moment and ask you do you have any challenges like that do you have any big challenges do you have any giants that you face doesn't it seem sometimes that the the battles we fight are against Insurmountable foes that are so beyond our capacity to stand up against them that we are like the Israelites we are in fear In fact, I couldn't help but think about it. I don't know about you, but you know I don't have much of a problem with problems in the middle of the day You know when problems bother me when I first get up and before I go to bed Have you noticed that? Isn't it easy to wake up and if you're not careful, the first thing you think about are the challenges and the problems and the difficulties you face. Or maybe then when you pillow your head at night before you go to sleep, if you're not careful, you let all of this negative stuff flood in upon your mind and then you go to sleep. And that's why the next morning you wake up with it again. Every morning and every night, the Israelites were confronted with the challenge they had no answer to. Just like many of us are. Enter David. David. And the second stanza of the story, the champion of the living God. The challenge to the living God, now the champion of the living God. In verses 12 through verse 40. There are many ways I could describe David as a champion. We could tell the story quickly and we will do that. But you know one of the things that excited me because of my love for biography and for narrative, also because of my love for athletics. It seems to me that a heart of a champion is the same no matter what age that heart may beat. Champions today for God are made out of the same stuff of David. And when we talk about being a champion for the Lord, there are certain characteristics that will always be true of champions for God. And I hope that there are among us today some who either are champions growing up or people who aspire to be champions for the Lord. And and so I'd like to just suggest to you some of the characteristics of David that are very clear in this record that tell us of the way he thought and why he was the kind of champion that he was. And I believe these are transferable concepts. I truly do. Number one, the first thing we note about David as we begin to read about his entrance into this story is that he was consistent in the routine things. Verse 12 says that David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. He had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. The Philistines drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. Now the rest of that little paragraph tells about how David's father told David to go down and take some food to the three boys. There were war. Let me just stop for a moment and point out a couple of things. Eliab, Aminadab, and Shammah went to war. David went back to the sheep. You may wonder how it is that David got back home when the last time we saw him, he was playing his heart before Saul. It's quite evident from verse 15 that David moved back and forth from the palace of Saul to the pasture lands of Bethlehem. He played for Saul sometimes, and sometimes he went back home. And now with Saul gone off to war to fight the Philistines, there would have been no need for David to stay at the palace, so back he went to the pasture land. Please remember that this David is the king in waiting. He's been anointed by Samuel. He is waiting for the moment when he will take over the kingship of Israel. But he never violates the routine mundane things of life to jump ahead of God's schedule. Because champions are always creatures of the routine. And the Bible says that David has now become an errand boy for his father. You see, the supply lines of the battlefield could only be implemented through the families of the warriors. They did not have any kitchen there that they could take care of all the food. So the families of the warriors would send food to their own sons, and that way they would keep the army supplied. David was told by Jesse's father, take some cheeses up and give them to Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah and see how they do. David's an errand boy. There's a very interesting insight into his care with the routine and the details in the 20th verse. For as David takes this package to his brothers, the Bible says that he left the sheep with a keeper. I think that's a fantastic statement, for it reminds us that even in the little details, David was faithful. Yes, it was a thrilling thing to be going off to the battle, but he would not take the opportunity to go to the sensational part of his life without caring for the routine things that need to be cared for. Those sheep needed somebody to care for him and he saw to it. They tell us in the athletic world that the difference between champions and those who finish second. The difference between people who are willing to concentrate on the details that often go unnoticed by others and are willing to follow the routine and do the things that must be done when nobody else is watching. I heard a coach say not long ago, there has never been a problem with people having the desire to win, but there has always been a problem with people having the desire to prepare to win. David was a man who wasn't afraid to prepare. He did the routine things carefully. That's why he was a champion, consistent in the routine things. By the way, we learned in our first lesson that David was a man after God's heart. And this week as I was reading the 13th chapter of the book of Acts, I found out exactly what that means. Acts 13 says... That, here's Paul preaching. Let me just read it to you. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. Here's the key. Which shall fulfill all my will. What does a man after God's heart do? He fulfills all of God's will. That's what David was. He was a man committed to the details of doing God's will. Champions do the little things, the routine things. Notice secondly... David was not only consistent in the routine things but as we move on through the story we discover that he was challenged by the impossible things. Verse 26 says David gets to camp, he rushes in to see his brothers, he brings them the food and while he's standing there talking to his brothers Goliath makes one of his treks out into the valley to challenge all of the people and David's standing there talking to his brothers and he hears all this. In fact at the end of verse 23 The Bible says that David hears the Philistine speak according to the same words. And David hears them. And when he looks around, there's nobody else there. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him and were sore afraid. David's standing there listening and all of a sudden he looks up and he's the only one left. And he's thinking to himself, this is a strange way to do battle. This is a strange kind of war. And so David starts to ask some questions. And he starts finding out who this giant is. Verse 25, the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will give him a lot. So David's interested now in this impossible task. Who is this giant that makes everybody run? And his ears perk up when he begins to hear that Saul has developed an incentive plan for the person who takes out Goliath. And so David asked some questions. He said, now would, you, would you run by me the incentive plan again? How does that work? And by the way, may I point out that the only reason Saul had an incentive plan was because he was a coward. Who should have been out there fighting Goliath? Who was head and shoulders above all the other Israelites? Saul. Who was the king? Saul. Who should have been their champion? Saul. But where was he? He was afraid. You know why? The spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. He was operating in the flesh, and he had every reason to be afraid of Goliath if he had nothing better than what he himself could offer. So he came up with his incentive plan and it was threefold. Whoever takes out Goliath gets rich quick, gets his daughter, Michael, which was no prize, believe me. And thirdly, he does not have to pay taxes for the rest of his life. A great incentive plan. You get Goliath, I'll make you rich. You get Michael and you're off the tax rolls. David decides he's going to enter. He's going to volunteer.
2: Mm. Well, that's an interesting place for us to stop and we'll have to pick that up again on Monday being Friday, I want to remind you how important it is for you to go to church. It's just so wonderful as a pastor to see uh, this COVID thing really almost over with and people back in church. And I hope you have uh, had great Sundays. We've been having some wonderful Sundays at Shadow Mountain seeing everybody there and the auditorium being filled and all the services. It's just, it's thrilling. And I hope that's happening where you are. If it's not happening where you are, are you a part of the problem or are you a part of the fix? You need to get to church. That's really important. Get to church. Uh, the church isn't what you do when you sit at home and listen or watch. The church is the, the gathering of people. So get back in church as soon as you can. This week would be a good time. And to be an encouragement to someone and watch us on television if you get a chance and be with us Monday when we convene right here in the Turning Point Study
1: Hall. See you then. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Tender Warrior, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca/slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca/slash radio. Or call us at 800 946 4300. Ask for your copy of The Focus Life a month of daily readings from Psalms and Proverbs, in a beautiful leather-bound book. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. Did you know that nearly two million Turning Point radio programs are broadcast each year? Your support enables Turning Point to continue delivering the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And thanks to our giving challenge, any fiscal year-end gift you give until the end of June will be doubled, up to $100,000. You can help Turning Point finish strong by donating today. Call 800-946-4300 or go to davidjeremiah.ca.
2: The 18th century American preacher and theologian Jonathan Edwards was known for his disciplined life. When he was 18 years old, he wrote in his journal, Resolved, that all men should live to the glory of God. Resolved, secondly, that whether or not anyone else lives to the glory of God, I will. Jonathan Edwards wasn't perfect, always living to the glory of God, but he wanted to be. He took seriously the admonition of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Good things often happen after we make such a commitment. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how God honors commitment on Route 66.
0: Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.